This is the Savvy Philanthropist Podcast. My name's Kirk. We are a financial planning podcast for people who want to do philanthropy well. Whether you're a donor trying to do some good in the world, or you're a development officer trying to connect resources with the people who need them, this podcast is all about how to navigate our U.S. legal and financial system in order to make the greatest philanthropic impact you can. This is Episode 23, A Business Owner's Guide to Giving, Part 3. This is the final installment in our short series on making charitable gifts with highly appreciated but closely held securities. The advantages of making a gift like this are really substantial, however, it's also pretty easy to get lost in all the details of the various rules. So in this episode, I'm going to walk through what the timeline for a gift like this actually looks like. The first step in the process is usually for the business owner, i.e. the owner of the highly appreciated securities, to reach a general understanding with the proposed buyer. Now let me clarify a bit. As you know, there can be no explicit written understanding between the two parties prior to making a charitable gift. However, the practical reality is that the owner isn't going to gift the securities unless he or she has a pretty good idea that the business is about to be sold. And beyond that, a charity is generally not interested in being a joint owner of a business for any longer than it needs to be. In fact, it could actually cause some serious tax problems for the charity. So in the real world, this type of gift is generally only made after the owner has reached some sort of arrangement with the buyer. The arrangement might not be entirely finalized, and it certainly won't be written down, but there is generally some sort of outline of the coming transaction. One exception to that general rule is the case of a stock redemption. If you remember, a redemption is simply the case where the buyer is the company itself, sort of a stock buyback transaction. In that case, the current owner is going to be the buyer too, so there's no need to really negotiate with a third party. But in any event, once a general outline of the deal is reached and understood, then the owner can start the process of making the charitable gift. And that process starts with an appraisal. As we discussed, a gift like this must have a qualified appraisal of its value, or the donor cannot take a charitable deduction for the gift. So get the appraisal. While the appraisal is being done, the donor is probably going to be deep in conversation with the charity about how the gift is going to be used. Is the ultimate gift going to be endowed, or will it be used as cash? Will this use be subject to particular terms, or will it be at the discretion of the charity? These are the sorts of questions that will be answered in some sort of gift agreement with the charity. So now the appraisal is done, and the negotiations with the charity are complete, now the donor actually makes the gift, and transfers the assets to the charity. More precisely, the donor transfers the assets to whatever charitable vehicle has been agreed by all the parties involved. If you remember from the last episode, That charitable vehicle could be one of several different things. It could be the operating charity itself, which will take the proceeds of the sale and then use them per the gift agreement. Or the vehicle could be a charitable remainder trust, a donor advised funds, or one of a couple of different things. But in any event, the donor gets the appropriate tax deduction for the transfer. Now after that transfer is complete, now it's time to actually make the sale. It's crucial to remember that the charity, or other charitable vehicle, is now the seller or at least one of the sellers, depending on the specifics of the gift. That means that the charity's legal counsel will at least need to be involved in some way. Obviously, the charity is not the primary driver of the deal, and in real life, the charity will almost certainly just follow the donor's instructions. Nonetheless, the charity does have an obligation to the public to at least make sure its own concerns are reviewed and addressed if necessary. This is the point now where the buyer and the seller actually start putting the deal on paper. This is generally standard M&A stuff where the lawyers for the two parties hash out the details. The charity's lawyer will surely be in those conversations, but like I said, the charity will almost certainly just follow the donor's lead. 
and that's it. The deal is done, and the sale is completed. The charity takes the proceeds and applies them per its agreement with the donor. Meanwhile, the donor has done some good in the world and enjoyed some pretty major tax benefits along the way. One last note before we wrap up. I have the opportunity next week, that's the middle of October 2022, to speak at the annual conference of the National Association of Charitable Gift Planners. I'll be speaking on the enforceability of charitable agreements. Basically, if you make a charitable gift with some restrictions and the charity fails to stick to those restrictions, who has the right to enforce the agreement? The answer might surprise you. I'm going to see if I can get the talk recorded, and if I can, I'll post it here. But in any event, if you're in Reno, Nevada next week and looking for some exciting philanthropic law conversation, then swing on by. And if you or your organization is looking for an event speaker or a continuing ed presenter, I'm always looking for more opportunities to talk about philanthropic planning. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you know other people who might find this podcast worthwhile, please share it on your social media platform of choice. And if you're feeling particularly generous, a rating or review for the show on whatever podcast service you use would really help to get the word out about the show. You can find The Savvy Philanthropist on the internet at thesavvyphilanthropist.net. You can find me on LinkedIn at the link below in the show notes, and you can follow me on Twitter where I am at Ross Plan. Lastly, if you have any ideas, suggestions, or helpful insights, feel free to email me at thesavvyphilanthropist at gmail.com. That's it for episode 23. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll have a short discussion on how to make certain kinds of non-cash gifts, things like giving books to a library or microscopes to a chemistry department, things like that. Until then, remember, do well, then do good, but always be savvy.